Hey, you hear? Well, hear this. Life is but a dream. If only you were here. Okay, okay, I'm pretty sure this is real life and not a fantasy. But I can tell you what I do know for sure. That this is, for real life, the Paul Leslie Hour. And you are welcome to it. And I know this much, too. We've got an interview from the archives with songwriter Jack Feldman. Uh, this is from quite a few years back, before Paul had a very nice microphone, like this one of your announcer. I know, because he told me he had a contraption to record phone calls for later radio broadcasts. The results varied, but now you know. Now here's what else you should know, especially about our friend Jack Feldman. Jack's a Tony Award-winning lyricist who's written many songs for theater, recording artists, as well as animated motion pictures. Along with composer Alan Menken, Jack Feldman wrote the score for Newsies, which won a Tony in 2012. Did you know that? Okay, well, know this. Jack Feldman has also had great success in the pop music world. With lyricist Bruce Sussman and composer Barry Manilow, Jack Feldman wrote many songs for Barry Manilow, including the classic At the Copa, Copacabana. Bet you know that one, huh? And it's worth knowing that other artists have recorded songs he had a hand in writing, including Wayne Newton and Bette Midler as well as several songs heard in Disney soundtracks. Well, what do you know? Slowly but surely, our subscription drive on YouTube is growing. We really would love it if you'd join us there. It's free. It's fast. Look up Paul Leslie on YouTube and subscribe. And ring that bell. Ding, ding. Now let's play that interview with lyricist Jack Fellman. There's so much... We need to know. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome our special guest. He's a very talented lyricist, Mr. Jack Feldman, along with Alan Menken and Harvey Firestein. He is the creator of the new musical, Newsy. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Paul. Who is Jack Feldman? <laughs> well... I'm a guy who grew up in the New York area on Long Island, and I got to see a lot of theater while I was growing up because my parents would go. And I remember going also with my grandmother when I was just a little kid, and I always loved it. It was at the center of my life since I can remember in terms of what I enjoy to do, you know, what I enjoy doing. And working in the theater was always what I aspired to do. What would you say it is about theater that captures you so much? I think originally it was musical theater and the way that songs were used to tell the story of whatever piece it was or whatever show it was. And I remember that also from animated movies, like the classic Disney animated movies, which at that time, and even up until not that long ago, were done very much the way songs 
in a show function. That is to illuminate character, tell part of the story, advance a relationship, tell you what the character might be thinking in what in a straight play might be a soliloquy or a monologue, and that that suspension of disbelief that seemed to come so easily on stage where a character or characters could be talking and then singing, and you would buy it. And so even though in a in a real-life situation, it sounds like it would be silly, on stage it was perfectly natural. And I think part of the reason why movie musicals don't work on screen as much is because screen is so much, uh, the movies are so much more literal, and the artificiality of breaking into song is that much more noticeable and harder to accomplish. Can you remember specific songs or recordings that you especially liked growing up? Well, I listened to a lot of stuff that all kids listened to or that most kids listened to in terms of stuff that was on the radio and pop music of the time. I was always interested in that, and I, I always was familiar with it. But what I was really drawn to in a much more profound way were original cast albums from shows. At first, the ones that happened to be in the house because my parents had bought them after seeing a show, and then later, those that I would go out and buy myself or or ask my mom to get for me. And I used to literally memorize, not on purpose, but I, I listened to them so much that I ended up memorizing virtually whole original cast albums of shows, a lot of which I could still sing from memory or write down from memory if I want to. For some reason, it just always, they always stuck in my mind. Were you always a writer? I wasn't always a writer in in a disciplined sense. I think I always wanted to be. I remember telling a neighbor of mine when I was about five or six years old, we were both about five or six, that I wanted to be Rodgers and Hammerstein. I don't recall that much of the conversation, but for some reason I recall saying that. I even remember exactly where we were out in my backyard when I said it. But I didn't really start to write with, in any kind of a disciplined way until high school. And the first thing I wrote of that nature was when I was a senior in school, every year the seniors would put on an original show, basically lampooning school life. And when I was a senior, I wrote a good deal of that show, the script and lyrics and music and along with some other people. But it was definitely, I took the lead in that. And that was the first project that resembled, even in its, you know, most amateur form, the structure of a show and songs which fit characters and story. You've written a lot of songs with Bruce Guthman. Yes. How did you meet him? We met in songwriting workshop that is called the BMI workshop that was started by a very successful and at the time well-known Broadway conductor by the name of Lehman Engel. When I got out of college, I went into the workshop. You had to audition for it. And that's where Bruce and I met. We weren't working together at the time. I was writing my own lyrics and music. And Bruce 
as a lyricist was working with another composer. But at some point, a couple of years after we met, we started to work together as well, doing the lyrics together and my writing the music. We worked on one project actually with a playwright by the name of Wendy Wasserstein, who achieved considerable fame, won the Pulitzer Prize, as a matter of fact, and died tragically young about, oh goodness, I don't know, eight years ago now, or maybe more. And that got done at a not-for-profit theater here in New York. And that was the, the one full-length show that we worked on together, Bruce and I. What was he like to work with? Bruce was great to work with. We had a very similar sensibility, very similar sense of humor. We both tended to admire the same writers and and shows, and we just got along really, really well. And it was a very smooth collaboration. It always was. You wrote the lyrics along with him, Bruce Uffman, to one of Barry Manilow's most well-known songs, and that song is Copacabana. Right. Tell us about writing that song. What happened was Barry had been to Rio de Janeiro, and in Rio there's a beach called Copacabana Beach. And he had remembered a line from a movie that he saw, that he had seen on TV many, many times, an old movie, where they used, where they were talking about that beach, and the line went something like, Copacabana, there's music in that name. And when he came back from Brazil, he said it would be great to write a song called Copacabana. And he didn't really give us any direction in terms of what it should be about. And I remember the hardest part of the song for us was deciding on what the approach to it would be. What we started out with the beach and after a little while, thought, well, there's no reason why we can't do it about the club, which was legendary at that point. It had passed its heyday, but it was really still very well known. At that point, it was a dance club. And we thought if we set it back in the 40s and did it like it was an old movie and had sort of a melodrama plot, kind of tongue-in-cheek, and that sort of gave us a handle on how to on how to write the song. And once we had fashioned a little story and a few characters, the rest of it was fun. Once we once we cracked it and decided how we were going to approach it, and only I think we we did it basically in two nights of working, two evenings, and then gave it to Barry. I think we even called him and. We sort of dictated it to him over the phone, and he wrote the music very quickly, and that's how the song was written. It certainly has endured. They were very well-known and well-loved songs. Yeah. I mean, it was never meant to be anything but a, a an album cut to a sort of change of pace on one of Barry's albums because so much of what he had hit with were ballad love songs and so he thought if we could if he could mix it up and and put a song that had a real dance beat to it and a little bit of humor it would make for a better variety on the album and 
But basically, listeners called into radio stations asking for it to be played. And that's how it sort of broke out. It was never meant to be a single. It was always meant to just sit on the album. But it was kind of forced out, which was great. It was a surprise, and it was it was terrific to have that reaction to it. A personal favorite is Why Don't We Try a Slow Dance, which you co-wrote. Yeah. What was the inspiration? We wrote that for a, a TV special that Barry was doing. He did a bunch of them. And I honestly don't remember what the impetus was for that in particular. I can't remember whether it was something that was mapped out in the script of the show as they envisioned it. We wrote it to be sung, you know, for him to sing on the show. So there would be, he would be seen singing it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't just be on a record, but he eventually put it on a record. And I always thought that was a, a neat song too. It was kind of, a throwback type song. Do you have a favorite Manilow song that you had a hand in writing? Well, I guess just by virtue of the fact that it was the first song for Barry that we all wrote together, I would have to say Copacabana. It did achieve a popularity, and it was literally the pop, the first pop song I ever wrote. Booth had written with Barry for a year or two before I joined the collaboration. So he had already gotten his feet wet, but I never had. It was quite special to sit down and the first one we did together ended up being successful. That's not necessarily my favorite Manilow song, but my favorite one that I had a hand in, in doing. The Newsy musical has yes. a new cast recording out. And yeah. I wanted to, you to tell us, how did you first come to hear of the Newsies Project? I heard of the Newsies Project through Alan Menken, who I also met in the BMI songwriting workshop, where I met Bruce. Alan was a year ahead of me. We became friends, and eventually he started to work, of course, with Howard Ashman, and they were a brilliant, brilliant team. and. They did The Little Mermaid together and Beauty and the Beast and Little Shop of Horrors and part of the Aladdin movie. And Howard was ill and he was originally slated to do Newsies, but he was really too ill to do it. And so Alan called me and asked if I'd be interested in, you know, meeting about it and, and seeing if it was something I'd like to do. And that's how I got involved. What is Alan Menken like to work with? Alan is incredible to work with. He is he is so gifted, and it all sort of comes from his gut, as he's fond of saying. He gets an instinct for the way something should sound, and once he does, he writes pretty quickly, and it's pretty amazing to be in the room with him when he's working on music because as a composer i know that i don't i never worked with that kind of sort of i don't know if you call it inspiration or just instinct he just it just sort of pours out of him and that's not to say that he's not flexible or won't make changes he's very collaborative 
he's an inspiration to work with because of, of how gifted he is. And I think when you work with somebody that good, it tends to make you better. How did the process of writing songs with him work? It varies. Well, usually we would we would come up with what the purpose of the song was going to be if a scene had already been written that we knew we wanted to put a song in we would start from that which is always a little easier it's always easier to write when there are limits and you know who's singing it what they're feeling what you want to say and i guess once we had all that settled and we had talked about all of that and talked about it with harvey obviously who was who wrote the script i think it he had his druthers, Alan likes to write the music first, or at least some of the music first, just to get a, a feel for it. And we often did that. He would rough out a melody or a chorus, and then we would find a title, and then I would go home and work on a lyric draft, and then we would get together again and refine it and refine it. But there were also times when he was doing something else or he needed to be somewhere else and I knew that we had a song that we wanted to do and so I would sketch out a lyric and bring that to him and he would set music to that. There was no, there's no strict way that we go about doing it. It's really sort of as it comes, which is great because I enjoy writing to music and he has no problem setting a lyric if it's put in front of him. I mean, it's not to say that we didn't have a lot of false starts and stuff like that. You always do. But we never had a problem with the process in terms of it needed to be a certain way or in a certain order, which was great, very freeing. You mentioned Harvey a second ago. What is Harvey Firestein like to work with? I had never met Harvey. I was only a fan, a huge fan of both his writing and his acting. And I was a little intimidated at first because, because he is Harvey Firestein. And I guess I would have felt the same way about Alan if I hadn't known him. But because I'm, I had known him for so many years, it wasn't like that. But Harvey completely puts you at your ease. He is also unbelievably collaborative if he fashions a theme and we have an idea for a song and they may not absolutely met he would always say you guys write the song and i will adjust the scene to make sure that the song and the scene fit together he's always and it's very hard when you're the difference between being a playwright and being a book writer for a musical, as a playwright, you're in charge of everything that's said and done on the stage. As a book writer, a lot of times you have to give up your, quote, best moment to the song. He instinctively knows the difference so well that when he's working on a musical, He's fully prepared to let the song drive the show. But it's deceptive because it's his dialogue, it's his characters. In this case, some of the characters were from the source material, which was the movie of Newsies. 
But without all that foundation there, there's really nothing to write about and no no characters to write for. It's an extremely underrated skill, writing the book to a musical. And I think often a writer gets blamed unfairly. Um, and a lot of terrific playwrights are not necessarily good musical book writers because it's a very different process, that kind of collaboration. And Harvey is just expert at it. I mean, he also wrote the book De La Cajo Cole and Catered Affair, so he's an experienced book writer, and it's easy to see why he's successful having worked with him, because he's, he's a perfect collaborator. And hilarious, hilarious. We had all, the three of us had incredible amount of fun working on the show. We really did. Prior to doing this uh, this interview we're doing, I got to correspond with him, and he asked that I would please send you his love. Oh, well, that's nice. Thank you very much. I spoke to him this morning, as a matter of fact. We've become really good friends in the couple of years that we've been working together on it, and we speak all the time, and he's I consider myself very lucky to, to have him as such a good friend. He really makes me laugh. And he's also a very caring, thoughtful, thoughtful guy. He really is. Is there a lyric from Newsy that you are most proud of? I think my favorite lyric, or my favorite song, I should say, in the show is the song that opens the second act, King of New York, which was a version of which was in the movie, but I rewrote a lot of the lyrics for the show. Part of it is because I, I think the music is incredibly infectious and, and just great. And part of it is because the images that I got to use and having the kids describe what their fantasy of being rich and famous would be was really fun. There was a lot to choose from, and it was fun to work on, and I'm happy with the way the whole thing came out. As a result of working on Newsies, what has been your favorite memory? I have to say, I think my favorite memory was when, as a surprise, found out that we were going to Broadway, which was never the intention for the show. And But the first time we had an audience, and... A lot of the actors who play the Newsies are very young, and for 12 of them, it was their Broadway debut. And the first time that a number, in uh, for the first audience, the first time one of the numbers got a huge hand, and they had to freeze and sort of hold for the applause before they could go on, which had never happened in rehearsal because you never had an audience. And I think my favorite memory is watching the faces of those kids. I mean, I call them kids. They're not, they're not all children, but they're, they're all very young. It, it, it was just so joyous to see, even though they were trying to freeze and stay in character, you could just see that they were ready to like jump out of their skin from excitement because of the way the audience was responding to what they had just done, part of which was an unbelievable amount of dance, which is brilliantly choreographed by Christopher Gatelli and incredibly executed by these kids who play the Newsies. They are 
phenomenally talented. And this was the first time that I think they got that affirmation from the audience. And it was, it was really thrilling, to, you know, to look at their faces while they were waiting there. Some of the best songs out there are songs used in Disney cartoons. Why do you think that is? I think it's a combination of the fact that they, that Disney worked with excellent, excellent songwriters in the heyday of, of the animated cartoons, including the Sherman brothers who did so much, so many songs for their films, and certainly Alan Menken and Howard Ashman who continued that tradition. I think also, stories themselves were classic, interesting stories that always, that, you know, people always wanted to see, and with characters and conflict and everything that makes something dramatic or funny built in. So when you have great characters, really interesting situations, and great writers, you're going to be more likely to end up with great songs. So I think I think it was a combination. I think if any of those elements are missing, it's not going to be as successful as so much so many of the songs in their movies are. You've written songs that have appeared in Disney movies, like "Perfect yeah. Isn't Easy," which was sung right. by Bette Midler. What yeah. is it you like about writing songs for Disney? I think what I like the best is that their songs traditionally, songs for Disney movies, are very close to the sensibility of songs on stage, or at least they used to be, right up through Howard and Alan's movies, and the movie that Alan did with Tim Rice and with David Zippel and Glenn Slater. They're songs which help either tell the story or give you insight into the character or the relationship between the characters, which is exactly what so many songs in live theater shows do. So it's really sort of like the same process or very close that you use when you're writing a show. And since that was always what I loved to do, working for Disney was a first cousin of that. I responded to it very much. Who has influenced your lyric writing the most? Lyric writing? I would say most definitely Stephen Sondheim, whose work as a composer and a lyricist I think is unsurpassed in in musical theater. Other favorites of mine, Sheldon Harnick, who I think is just a brilliant, brilliant lyric writer. Frank Lesser also just had an ability that was sort of one in a million. Right off the bat, I would say those three, you know, Red Ebb, brilliant lyric writer. I would say in terms of the the early days of, of you know, in the 20s and 30s and 40s before I was around, I get, you know, Cole Porter was the quintessential Broadway sophisticated songwriter and his stuff is, for the most part, brilliant absolutely brilliant you mentioned sondheim just a second ago and i was reading in sondheim's second volume just two books he mentions your name yeah yeah he does in the acknowledgement of both books yeah what was that about that's interesting 
I I knew him for a long time, but not very well at all. And we happened to be having a drink one night, and I had remembered that he had started or was planning to start to work on these books years before. And I just asked him whatever happened with that, and he said, Strange, you should ask, because I just have started to actually work on it. At that point, it was only going to be one book. And he said he had only shown them to a couple of close friends. He had written a couple of chapters to the first book and asked me if I would be interested in reading the chapters that he had written, which I almost, you know, passed out when he asked me because feeling about his work the way I do, uh, I knew that, I, you know, this was going to be unbelievable. And he sent them to me and it just gradually evolved into a back and forth where at first there were a couple of facts that might have been off or something like that. And so I would say, I believe that, I don't know, this song was written in such and such and not in the date that is you know, that's in the manuscript. And a couple of times I actually corrected some of his own lyrics because I know them so well. And they were either typos or misprints or he had forgotten that he changed the lyrics in the movie version of, let's say, let's say West Side Story from what it was in the stage version. And he kept sending me the chapters and I kept, I kept reading them closely over and over again and i would say that that and newsies which coincidentally were both sort of happening at the same time were the two most thrilling professional experiences of my life the chance to get to not really work with him but to observe his process and read every draft of every chapter and see what he changed and what he took out and what he added. It was an education, the likes of which I could never have imagined. And, you know, it was, it was literally a dream come true, as was Newsies. They were both, I mean, so completely different in terms of what the projects were, but so thrilling and having anything to do with his books and having a chance to look at them in early stages and stuff. And, and that was just, for me, it was, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. I'm so grateful that he trusted me enough to allow me to read the stuff and, and even make a comment on it. I mean, who am I to comment to, you know, to comment to him, but he's so open to anything that's going to make anything better. There's no sense of, well, I'm Stephen Sondheim and you're not. <laughs> he always treated me so much like a colleague. And that was, you know, invaluable, invaluable to me. He was just wonderful to me. Great. Just a, an amazing story there. As, yeah. In addition to all the Broadway artists, recording artists, as diverse as Wayne Newton, Lily Tomlin, Dionne Warwick, and Barry Manilow have recorded your song. Is there a favorite song of yours? That's probably a really tough question. You mean of, of all the pop songs? Of just all the songs you've written, is there one that you could pick that is a favorite of yours? Not really. It's usually 
if I have one in mind, it's usually one that is from something that I'm working on currently, just because it's in the forefront of my mind. And so I'm, I'm thinking about it. It's so common. I used to think that it was just me sort of being, you know, bad to myself, but I realized that most writers go through it. When you write something and you hear it again or you read it again or whatever it is, all you see are the things you wish were different and the things you wish you had changed. And that's not to say that I don't like anything I've done, but when enough time passes, you start to get a little more objective about it and have more perspective on it. So that's why the stuff that I am working on more currently is easier to like because I'm in the middle of it and so I haven't yet developed that kind of perspective. When someone hears a song you wrote, what do you hope the listener gets out of the experience? Well, there are all sorts of, of different, you know, reasons for songs to be. So I guess I hope that they will get out of it what the intention is when you write it, that it's clear, that it's enlightening in some way or illuminating in terms of who the, who the character is that's singing it, if they're maybe a little surprised by it. But as Sondheim explained so brilliantly in his book, Lyrics, unlike poetry, are sung in time, and they only go by you once. And it's very important that you write so that the listener can understand what it is you're saying, and that it's clear and concise enough so that they can get it on a first hearing. That's not to say that with more hearings, you don't find more in the song, but it's getting, it's being able to write so that the listener can hear and understand what the content of the song is, what the emotion of the song is, even while everything else is going on. It has music, there are sets, there are costumes, there's lighting, there's all sorts of what could be distractions in terms of actually listening, although, of course, they add immeasurably to the whole show. So in spite of all those things coming at the audience or the listener, you want, you hope that what you're saying is clear enough that it will penetrate the consciousness of the listener. What is the best thing about being Jack Feldman? The best thing? I guess the best thing is the fact that I always have had incredible support from my family, from my friends in terms of doing the thing that I always wanted to do and that I've gotten the opportunity to do it, not always successfully and not always exactly the way I wanted it to come out, but I was always able to make a living at it. I have had some success, which is largely due to the people I've worked with. And I guess just the fact that I've been able to do what I always wanted to do and can get up in the morning and go to work and say, I get to do this today, not I have to do this today, but I've been given permission to do this today, and maybe I'll even get paid for it, and that's, that's pretty great. My last question, 
our interviews with songwriters have been heard by people all around the globe. So totally open-ended. What would you like to say to our listeners? I guess I'd like to thank them on behalf of myself. And I would think every songwriter that you've probably ever interviewed from legendary ones to to guys like me, you know, making a living at it without the audience, there would be no reason. It's not that there would be no reason to write, but you wouldn't get any kind of feedback from anything that you wrote. And for those who are interested enough to listen to shows like yours, take an interest in what it is that guys like me do is, is a huge gift. And so I guess I'd just like to say thank you. And the more that you can support the arts, the more likely it is that more and more talented people will keep coming up and being able to do the thing that they love. But it's the audience that makes that possible. Jack, thank you so much for this interview. You've been very gracious, and I've appreciated all the thought you put into all these answers. My pleasure, Paul. Thank you so much. I appreciate your your reaching out to, to talk. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, the entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.